developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. We might just be in France, but this is global. These players are icons. Their stories are noble. In fact, each story into the game is golden. Yo, 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 I'm Heath. And I'm Susanna. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa 90. We're coming to you every day from the Copa 90 Clubhouse in Paris, bringing you all the excitement from the 2019 Women's World Cup. And Susanna's joining us today as our super sub for Monkey, who's <laughs> off doing some massive gig in Ibiza in front of a bunch of probably very drunk uh, Brits, maybe, right? Uh, but Susanna, what have we got on the show for today? Here's what we got for you today. We hear from the football friends forward, Sarah Gregorius. The man in the know, Ellie Mendham, is bringing you everything you really need to know about Jamaica and Australia. But first, we've got a little recap from last night's games. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. Number one of the five things you need to know going into your day. Uh, more controversy via VAR. Uh, well, not necessarily controversy, but enough in the fact that France got to retake a penalty because the opposing goalkeeper took a step off of her line. Wendy Renard had missed the penalty, got to take it again, finished it. They were probably going to win the group anyway. Well, they would have won the group anyway. But still some some things that, that bother me because now it makes you have to do that for every single penalty moving forward, which maybe they are going to start enforcing. But I remember that as a player, there were times when refs would do that. Somebody encroaches in the box or the goalie comes off his line. And it's like once a season that you see that happening, but it's something that happens almost every single time a penalty is taken. Number two, France are top, Norway are second in their group and Nigeria are third in the group and still have a chance to get out of their group. So they're gonna be like us fans for the next couple of days watching every single game Hoping for the best, probably in a bar. Maybe they'll come to the clubhouse and watch a game or two uh, with all the drama of potentially getting out of the group stages and hoping, like rooting for the team that whoever it is that uh, they don't want to go through uh, is playing against. Uh, number three, Spain are in the knockout rounds of the World Cup for their first time ever. I think this is a huge monumental moment. Obviously, Spain play a very beautiful style of football. Uh, they've been criticized for being just like uh, the men's team where at lo a lot of times it's too pretty and it doesn't end with a final product. But here they are in the knockout rounds for the first time ever. And I think that's a huge step forward for, for Spanish women's football. Number four, China are the first third place team to qualify for the knockout rounds. Obviously four teams in this tournament because it's been extended to 24 since the 2015 World Cup where they had 24 teams. That means four teams from third place positions get to go to the knockout rounds. China are the first of the three, which shows you that sometimes four points uh, is good enough. And finally, looking forward, Jamaica play against Australia and Italy play against Brazil. All to play for their Italy, obviously sitting on top 
of the group. Brazil with a win, Australia with a win, and, and Jamaica. Can Jamaica go through? I don't know. I don't think so. I think they're probably done but can play spoilers to Australia, forcing them into a tough position. So that's what you have looking forward, and those are the five things you need to know going into your day. Copper 90. Now we're going to get to the rest of the show. It is myself and Susanna hosting today. Monkey is away on a DJ gig. But here's what you really need to know about Jamaica. Without doubt, the minnows of not just the group, but the whole tournament, the 53rd ranked Jamaicans head to their first ever World Cup this summer, knowing nobody considers them a chance to get out of the group. But whilst their on-pitch credentials might not stand up to some of the heavyweights in Group C, it's what the reggae girls have proved they can overcome just to get here that is their most outstanding quality, embodied by their star striker, Katija Bunny Shaw. Only 22, Katija has spent the past few years balancing her fledgling football career where she heads to France considered one of the most exciting players in the tournament with her studies for a major in senior communications that has seen her become the first person in her family to earn a degree from an American university. These achievements alone will be impressive, but it's the fact that Bunny has done them in the face of continuous personal tragedy, having lost three brothers to the gang violence that continues to plague her island homeland and a fourth to a fatal car accident. But here's what you really need to know about Jamaica. Inside Inside School. If you really want to look at how incredible the reggae girls' participation at this tournament is, you only have to look back two tournaments ago, where the side weren't even allowed to try and qualify for the tournament. The band came about thanks to the Jamaican FA deciding to cut all funding to the women's program, meaning there were no resources or means to field a side. Having not participated in the game for so long, FIFA rescinded the team's FIFA ranking and the girls weren't even allowed to attempt to have a crack at qualifying. News of such tragic circumstances made their way to Sadila Mali, the daughter of Bob, the country's idol, who like her father is a huge football fan and refused to accept the situation. So becoming the team's official ambassador and travelling home and away with the girls, Sadella put her own money in to help fund everything from kits to travel and convince friends and colleagues and most importantly corporate sponsors to do the same. However, progress took time and when the reggae girls fell heartbreakingly short of qualifying for Canada 2015, where Sadella admitted that things weren't as easy as she first thought. But most importantly, she didn't give up her support, sticking by the side for a further four years through the next World Cup qualifying campaign. And that's where her patience and investment paid off with the Jamaicans becoming the first Caribbean nation to make the tournament by winning a nerve-wracking penalty shootout in a playoff against Panama. The tears of joy and adulation from Coach Menzies to Sadella Mali show just how much it meant to the entire nation. And after joining the team on the road from Barbados to Panama, you can bet the side can count on Sadella's support in the stands or possibly even on the bus with them in France, where they will no doubt take inspiration from the relentless support she's shown. And whilst yes, their Group C opponents may have some of the most dangerous plays in the game, nothing will compare to the obstacles the reggae girls have overcome. Wow. Ooh. Inspirational story there. I, I love, uh, that's what the World Cup's all about. Like yeah. that, It makes me emotional when I hear stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, it all sounds really, really inspirational, but I heard two weeks before they even left for the World Cup, their bags had to go to Scotland, I believe, and then put on a truck and then somehow transported from Scotland to France. What? And the team, because of funding and, and it wasn't organized, had to go through Africa, flow through Africa to get to France. That's insane. Like to connect. 
And apparently there's like close to half a million dollars for qualifying for the World Cup was into the Jamaica Federation. And there's a lot of questions as to where that went in terms of the infrastructure. I'm not going to speculate on, on any of that, but like those are some of the stories that I've heard about some of the things they've already had to overcome in the, in the lead up to the tournament or just before the tournament. Started. And doesn't that just make you want to root for them even more? Yeah. Like it's just, you know, when you hear these stories and, and bunny and, and the tragedy and, and all of that, and that, you know, these people, they're not, they're not getting paid. Like it's, it's just, it's an, an incredible thing. <laughs> I also go back. I think about, remember that movie cool runnings with the Jamaican bobsled team? Do I remember that? Was movie? that not yeah. like, isn't that like, I, I would put that in my like top five, sports movies of all time I love that but it's just you know like that that sort of like come from behind you're rooting for the underdog story and it's just like I they were one of those teams that I was reading about leading into this tournament and I was like this is unbelievable this is like really really unbelievable and so you just I, I you know I know that they're just so happy to be here but it's like I to to watch them go out there and be successful and and sort of create this name for themselves is so gratifying yeah and you're here now in France, speaking of traveling. I know you, you had me on your podcast called The Call-Up recently. Yes, you were great, by the way. Thank you. Uh, we'll, I'll ask you more about your podcast in a little bit. <laughs> but you, you had me on there, and I was able to clarify that you did not fly private or oh, he- here. But... How like how was your how was your travel? Well, you know that story. France? You know that story you just told about the the luggage and the yeah. Jamaican team. It's not not terribly dissimilar to my ordeal getting here. Okay, and this is all on me. Like I'm going to tell this story, and this is all on me and being uninformed. So I show up to my flight. So you're taking wherever this story is about to go. You're yes. taking the the full I, responsibility and blame for it. One hundred percent. No, well partially and I'll get oh, to that. Oh, here we go. Backing up. I will get to responsibility. That. This is what I do. I deflect. So, I show up for my flight. I was supposed to be here on Friday. So, I show up to JFK on Thursday night, passport in hand, ready to check my bag. We're going to get on this flight. I'm so excited. US US scarf around your yes, neck, jersey on. Like, yeah, let's all the, yeah. go, <laughs> You're let's chanting go. USA in the airport. And I like hand the guy my passport, have the audacity to be like, um, is there any way I can get a seat closer? You know, like I'm literally, I'm like, I don't know if you can see, but I am priority on Delta. Like I'm, I have platinum status. <laughs> the worst. And the guy's looking at my passport. He's like, you're not going anywhere. Oh. And I was like, and I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, um, your passport expires September 9th. That is short of the three month window. Like you have to, you, your passport has to be valid like three months after the date that you leave mm. when you're entering Europe. I did not know that. So I just figured I had a valid passport. It was, you know, doesn't expire till September. I'm fine. The guy's like, nope. Is that three months because of how long you can, tr- like a tra- like I, a tourist visa? It must is that probably be. What it, is? it must be. So I'm you don't a, get stuck somewhere. And some countries it's six months. Yeah. So like, it, you know, you look at your expiration date and it really doesn't mean anything. So I, ha- I started shaking. Literally, it was about to like have a meltdown called my producer, was like, I don't know what's going on. And then she kind of talked me off a ledge. And then the guy was like, this is what you have to do. You have to go to this passport office, literally at the crack of dawn. They can issue one that day. He rebooked me on a 4 p.m. flight. And I was like, okay, we're doing this. And then I ran into a dude as we were leaving. The exact same thing happened to him. And he was like, I got my passport. It's going to be fine. So at 4.30 in the morning, I was in line by 11 AM. I had a passport in hand. I made my 4 PM flight and here I am, but lesson learned. But also here's my thing. When I booked this flight, you have to enter your passport information. So like my, like the date, the expiration oh, oh, date, everything. Oh, here goes everything. the blame on the airline. Why huh? For doesn't your a responsi- little alert pop 
pop up and say, yo, <laughs> yo. like you might yeah. want to think about re- like getting this thing renewed because you have like you literally cannot fly. So I'm 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 calling out like Delta. I'm calling out all the airlines. When you book an international flight and you have to enter your passport info, get that alert up there. Let people know. And there were Heath, there were 200 people in that line that morning. Everybody in the same boat. Well, there as goes. Me. So our I am not the only one. Sponsorship with Delta for that segment. I am not the only gone. one. We no, just listen, lost that one. <laughs> I love Delta, and I am. Pla- oh, well, I am God, platinum yeah, status. Yeah. <laughs> Keep my status, please. I like those free upgrades. But well, now you're here, I'm and, here. and you, you went to the U.S. match. I sure did. What was that like? It was, so. This was my very first World Cup experience, um, and being outside the stadium was just incredible. Like the the Chile fans and the US fans all just going nuts together. Um, and it really, like I got, I had goosebumps all over my body and this is a true story because they captured it on camera. I can't escape it. I walked in and I, like I started crying. I got like really emotional. I mean, you're a meth- you are a method actor though, right? <laughs> I like <am>. you. <laughs> I take my craft very seriously. Uh, but I did I started I got like teary. It was really really powerful. Um and the match itself was great. I mean, the first half was, you know, they were scoring goals and so like everyone was just into it and up. The second half was a little, you know, like people are kind of sat back down and and chilled out a little, but still unbelievable. The place was packed. I was we took that Chilean goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. Yeah. And I love that she was player of the match. Like that was so deserved. Her saves, that one on that Kristen Press header. <laughs> I was like, she she was unreal. She played, she played her face off. So she's that been was one awesome. of my players of the tournament so she's far. Unbelievable. And it, it, sometimes it feels like such a pander when it's like some a team that's not winning and you give it to the goalkeeper, like, oh, she's doing really well. But she's actually mm-hmm. made mad like they could easily be not an embarrassment of the tournament, but they could have given up a ton of goals that she's like single-handedly been hundred percent. That game yesterday could have been like seven nil, eight nil had it not been for her. I mean, the U S had a lot of chances in that game and like, you know, 270 corner. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I realized though about that, that, that match is the U S team is really deep. There was six changes. Oh, we were I believe talking about that. And that's going to be a tough team to that beat. bench. And I was like, they still got, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe sitting there. Like, this is ridiculous. Rose Lavelle. Like, what is going on? I love the tradition of going to the sideline to high-five all of the subs when (laughs) the team scores. But I also love that Carly Lloyd is such a legend that she scored and just waved Uh, to them on uh the sideline, uh which is like, basically like, I'm the older player on the team. I'm saving all my steps. I'm not coming over to high-five. Keith, I took that as a little bit of a, like, mm mm-hmm to the celebration argument. I thought it was a little bit of a golf wave. Like, this is how, uh, this is my muted celebration. That's how I interpreted it. Very. What do you think? I mean, I I definitely think there's something there. No, no, she was the cap. She was captain. And so she was setting an example by scoring. I'm a conspiracy theorist, but like, there's something to that. I think that that was a little bit of a, like, oh, okay. You want to see a muted celebration? Here's my, you know, queen of England. (laughs) Like just, yeah, that's my take. Yeah. There's something to that. I mean, there, I don't think there's anything wrong with high-fiving. You don't have to swag surf like they did in the first, ga- first game. but like they, I love a good high-five. It's more of like the acknowledgement of your subs that we're all part of one, one thing. But the wave over there was like, uh, to me, when I saw it, I'm, I, I would see that when, when, when goals happened in my career and everybody uh-huh. ran to the corner to celebrate, I would run to the sideline to get water. 
like survive, <laughs> use it as a break. Because when you go off for a sprint on a, on a big goal, oh, for sure. it's, a, it's exhausting. A <laughs> You've used one of your sprints for the matches. So her sort of jogging back and being so like, I'm, not, left in the I'm not coming back to that sideline is like me saying I'm saving all of this for my next like sprint that. in the box. You know what? I bet. I think we're both right. Yeah. I think there's something in play on both of yeah. our points. So. We're always both right. So that's sort of the Obviously. Yeah. Um, we've got a icons package with Sarah Gregorius. So let's give that a listen now. Hashtag Copper 90 icons. My name is Sarah Gregorius and I play for the New Zealand Football Ferns and for the Miramar Rangers in Wellington, New Zealand. I started playing the game when I was about 11, 12 years old, so a bit of a late bloomer. And up until that point, I had played a lot of individual sports like tennis and I had done swimming and athletics. And what I loved about football and what kept me coming back was just being a part of the team and being able to run around outside with my friends and have a blast. And yeah, that just kept me coming back. I played sort of youth rep football for a while and I made the New Zealand under 20 team. But after that, I sort of went into the wilderness a wee bit and didn't end up making my debut until I was about 23, 24. And I had a couple of sort of big injury setbacks as well. I was meant to make my debut against Japan in, in 2009 and about two days before our game, I completely ruptured my ACL and was out for sort of six months and didn't end up making my debut until October 2010. So I was kind of on the pathway, fell off it, had a run of bad luck with injuries, but eventually broke into the ferns and they haven't been able to get rid of me since. What kept me driven was probably I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I was told after the Under 20 World Cup that I was too small for international football and I wouldn't have the ability to sort of crack it at senior level. And then once I started picking up quite severe injuries, you know, you had that sort of voice in the back of your head being like, oh, maybe they're right, maybe my body's not cut out for it. But rather than listen to that voice, I kind of developed a bit of an attitude about it and was like, okay, cool, like maybe I'm not gonna be the tallest person on the pitch, but I can be one of the fastest. I can be strong for my size and have good balance and things like that. Some of the things I'm involved in outside of just playing the game, quite a bit. I live in New Zealand and I work in different areas of football. So I work for Capital Football as a Federation Development Officer. And I do a lot of grassroots and community work, particularly with girls and women and trying to get girls who are aged between 13 and 18 introduced to the game, you know, help them to fall in love with parts of the game that I believe are important to, to young women, like the social and emotional side of things. I also work for our player union, the New Zealand Professional Footballers Association, and helping to push through some pretty groundbreaking stuff in terms of equality between the men's and the women's team. And all of that stuff outside of football that can affect elite athletes, such as life after football, mental well-being, and you know, just basic financial understanding for our young players who go overseas. So what I found for me personally is it's quite humbling and it's quite grounding. Back when I was trying to crack it at sort of representative level, there wasn't clear development pathways. Whereas now I think it's, it's quite fixed, you know, like players tend to go into academies. In New Zealand, we have a Future Ferns domestic program that they can get into as young as 15 or 16. That kind of stuff just didn't exist when I was growing up. I think I started playing pro when I was 24, 25, and that they can go into it so early is, is really awesome. And I think they're gonna be 
that generation of players will take the game so much further forward than I think my generation could because of the amount of opportunities that are available to them. I found for me personally, when I only had football to focus on, I was a worse footballer. So when I was playing overseas, my worst year was my first year playing professionally. Then after that, I started to get into postgraduate study and, and that sort of thing. And I found that that was that made me a better person to be around generally and also a better footballer. It is really tough. I wouldn't say that it's for everybody. I think some people are better with a narrower focus and you know thrive when they are sort of single-minded. For me personally, I think balance is so important. And for the very real and true fact that you're only sort of as good as your last game and, and it can all end very quickly. And if your whole identity revolves around playing the sport, you're gonna struggle if that's taken away from you outside of your control. The one thing I want people to say about me when I'm finished playing is probably that I was a good person. I'm not actually that bothered about what they'll say about my playing ability. I think I'm pretty comfortable with the the opportunities and experiences that I've had. This is my third World Cup, so I know that I'm a, I'm a decent player. I think I would love for players to be like, man, she was a good teammate, she was fun to be around. I felt encouraged playing alongside her. I felt like she was a supportive teammate. So I'd be totally comfortable if people said I was a good person. I really, to be honest, couldn't care less what they said about me as a player. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. I've only wanted people to say I was a good player. <laughs> I was going to say I'm, They already know I'm not a good person, <laughs> Mike. We've established that. Somehow I had a feeling that was going to be your reaction. You know, one thing that I found just much more present in women's football is how, like, you see a lot of big male footballers supporting causes, mm-hmm. supporting change, using their platforms to support but on the women's side, you see them sort of leading change. They have their own academies. They have their own uh, things that they're involved in. And Sarah Glorious talked about how when she was only focused on football, she wasn't playing her best football. Mm-hmm. When she when she had other things going on is when she started to enjoy it more. She was a happier kind of player and a better player when she had all these things, which she's actively leading, not just using a platform to support. Yeah. It's pretty cool. No, it's really cool. And I think, you know, I feel like that's a lesson for everybody, you know, like to have that sort of balance, you know, if it, if it's only football, if it's only your, your job, you know, you're not a, you're not a complete person. And I love the fact that she was like, look, I just want, I want to be a good human. I want people to, to like me as a person. I don't care about the football side. And I, and to your point about, you know, w- women are tra- trailblazers because we have to be, you know, like we are in a position where we are coming from behind in terms of where we are against the men's game or, you know, and, and just in general, this is all facets of life. And so, you know, when you, when you look at women who, who take a stance or like a Megan Rapino who comes out and these are, they're trailblazers because they have to be. And, and it's just the nature of kind of society and the way we live. But to, to watch these, these women do it with such grace and and such fervor is it's so inspiring and i love the stories that come out during the world cup cuz you I, it just increases awareness to like incredible incredible causes and that's one of my favorite things about the tournament yeah it, on the note of of i guess just football not being the only thing in people's lives this is this is thing is very present in the us right mm-hmm. we aren't a football culture yet yeah and it's been a real challenge going from Bruce Arena as the national team coach on the men's side 
through Bob Bradley to Jurgen Klinsmann to where we're at now, just trying to understand the the American psyche around it, right? When I when I was in a national team camp, I was roommates with Michael Bradley for a long time, and he would just watch the, football the all day long. The coach's son. The coach's son. Oh lord! And he would watch football all day long on his on his laptop, watching old games. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I would watch movies, and they were two distinctly different things. And I'm not saying that's not the same other places because sure. a lot of these interviews we've had with the girls, some of them, was, ah, I play video games, or I like to distract myself, mm-hmm. or I'm you know football all the time, like. Like we had uh, Viv Miedema who was like, I'll watch Hong Kong play against somebody else yep. in, in like some random match on TV. Like I'll watch it all day, day long. While others are, are just like, as soon as I'm done, I need to flip the switch off. And it's such an importance to, it's just hard to assume that someday we're all just in the U.S. are going to just think about football all the time. Some people <laughs> yeah. will, but like understanding that balance. No, for sure. Well, and then and then think about think about the women too, because a lot of these these are some of them are mothers, you know. So it's like they literally can't. It can't be football all the time, you know. They've got children stories, and not to say that men don't assist in raising children and their their partners, their their spouses are certainly there to help. But you know, the mother is you know typically the primary caregiver, and and so to they have to have that balance. They have to. It can't just be about football all the time. And so I, I those that's it's so remarkable to me when I'm like, you are a professional footballer and you have a kid and you're getting it done. And it's like I I struggle to you know eat breakfast in the morning. Like this is what am I doing with my life? Do you when you're single focused on a project, <laughs> do you need a lot of distraction or are you somebody that sort of like just dials in and can't focus on anything else I when I when it's a a single project I get really dialed in like it is a a, a, like total tunnel vision and I I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go I think I would it would probably benefit me to sort of keep my eyes a little bit more open and and have those distractions but I it's kind of how I work it's sort of how I've always been it's like this like crunch time comes and I'm just like in it what if this project was a four-year project like qualifying for a World <laughs> Cup would with the way your brain works yeah. would that be torturous for you? Would you yes. have to escape and or hundred percent? Well, even being like a woman in in the media, you know, like I I have like my personal relationships have suffered. Like I have really been very very focused on on building a career. So if I was a footballer, I guarantee you I would be like the Michael Bradley yeah. version, just like locked in and I don't know that I like that about myself but you know what Heath you're here to (laughs) you can be my therapist today (laughs) that's fine I'm comfortable with that I've got an education (laughs) I took a a class that had something to do with therapy at one point see pretty much makes me an expert totes qualified um before we get to our inside score with Australia tell me Real quick uh, about uh, your podcast. Ah, this is, it's amazing. As you said, you were um, a guest. Uh, It's called, it's called the MLS, the call up. um, And it's hosted by myself and my amazing colleague, Jillian Sakovitz, who's a, another MLS reporter. And we, we came up with this idea because we would, Jill and I are on the road all the time at MLS and we get very up close and personal with the coaches, with the players, with the game, with the fans. And we have so many stories that you never hear. You know, you see our interviews that we do, we put those out, but you don't hear like the like funny interactions or like, you know, just like sort of random things that happen. And we would meet up and we would share these stories amongst ourselves. We're like, 
we think people might want to hear this. Like, right. this is good. And so we we pitched it um, to our bosses and they they bit. They were like, no, this sounds great. So That's they greenlit awesome. it and um, we do it every other week. Um, we record on Mondays. They release it on Tuesdays. And it's it's been really, we've gotten such a lovely response. Like people have really responded. And it's not, you know, we talk about, um, we talk about it's it's more humanizing the game you know it's 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 kind of what we're what our focus is and where can we find it we can find it on um apple um like itunes like where you download your apple podcasts um spotify and then they also link to it on mlssoccer.com so yeah yeah mls call it so if you're listening to this go and check it out but in the meantime here is an inside score from australia Let's be honest, whether it's the Men's or Women's World Cup, whichever group Brazil find themselves in, regardless of their opponent, they become the focus of excitement, anticipation and attention of the group. But for Group C of France 2019, that genuinely isn't the case. And I'm not just saying this because I'm Australian. And that's because, thanks to their youthful, star-studded, infectiously joyful and outright attacking squad, led by their back-flipping, self-deprecating, uber-approachable captain Sam Kerr, the Matildas as they're called down under, in reference to the colloquial Australian song Waltz in Matilda, have become the talk of the women's game. In fact, not only did the Aussies get the better of the Brazilians in the round of 16 at the last World Cup, in 2017, they emphatically beat the Samba Nation 6-1 in the US, then beat them twice more at home in front of record-breaking crowds made up of an Australian public that have fallen head over heels for their women's team. Whilst the Brazilians are still going to provide tough competition for that top spot in the group, the much younger Aussies will be aiming not only to top the group, but go deep in the competition. Inside Inside score. But here's what you really need to know. When it comes to the Matildas, there genuinely might not be a team in this tournament that is on the receiving end of so much goodwill from their home fans. Whilst this has been helped by their performances on the pitch, it's mostly due to their actions off it, where the tight-knit squad consistently come across as an unpretentious, easy-going gang, who despite their incredible rise up the international rankings, never take themselves too seriously, an attribute that embodies the best of the Australian mindset. A shining example of this is the must-see viral video on YouTube of Elise Kellen Knight's blasé rescue of Lisa Devanna's hilarious attempt to drink a water bottle upside down. But as much as the Matildas are all about their laid-back collective spirit, there is one player who, as much as she wouldn't want to, stands out amongst the bunch. And that, of course, is the 25-year-old striker and national team captain, Sam Kerr. Earning her first cap at the hard-to-believe age of 15, the only thing more astonishing than her debut age was the fact that Kerr had only been playing the game for roughly two and a half years beforehand and admits she didn't even take the game seriously until the age of 20. But like the rest of the squad, it's her actions off the pitch that have made her so adhered to the Aussie public. Thanks to her intimate, self-deprecating pictures that she constantly shares of her and the squad behind the scenes, or the viral video of her taking part in a kick around with a group of kids who just knocked on her door at home and asked her to join in. It's all combined to paint a picture of Kerr as a far more approachable and down-to-earth player than the usual superstar. Not that she's not a superstar, of course, with her near half a million dollar salary with Perth Glory, making her a better played player than most Australian female and male footballers. And Nike recently installing her as the main feature of its Australian marketing and advertising campaigns. But in a country like Australia, and especially an AFL mad city like Perth, Football, the real football, is still subject to insular, patronising attitudes towards the world game, where the idea of choosing to play football over AFL is seen as absurd. But Sam has continuously had to stress that despite her love of AFL and the West Coast Eagles, 
Her game is the world game, and nothing summed up the Kermania more than a viral photograph of one Aussie fan who was wearing an altered shirt of the men's national team. The kit was from the Socceroo side that made the round of 16 at the 2006 Men's World Cup and is considered the nation's greatest ever. The number on the back was 2. The name on the back was Neil, a homage to one of the bona fide stars and the beloved captain of that vintage side, Lucas Neil. But using gaffer tape, the fan had taped a strategically placed zero next to the two, crossed out the Neil, and written the name Kerr on the bottom of the shirt. Instead of Neil 2, the shirt now proudly boasted Kerr 20, and in true Kerr Matilda's fashion, Twitter blew up, with Kerr using the platform to reach out to her followers to try and find the fan so that she could give him a proper kit. However, things in the Australian women's camp haven't all been peachy as March saw one of the most spectacular scandals in the game, with long-term coach Alan Sasek spectacularly fired out of the blue. And whilst the last three World Cups have seen the Aussies bow out of the tournament at the quarter-final stage with their heads held high, the players, the media and the fans know that this is finally the tournament to go that one step further, if not a few more, and show the world just why the Matildas of 2019 are finally more exciting than Brazil. As Kerr said in a recent Nike video dedicated to her journey, I want to win a World Cup for Australia. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. Win a World Cup for Australia. Listen, anything's possible. It is. They, though, had were part of the first upset of the tournament oh, when Italy beat them. God. And then... To come back. Yeah. Respo- the response... After that was just incredible. Then that, they, yeah, then they had the most exciting game against Brazil, <laughs> like the most exciting game in the tournament so far, un- going both ways. Unbelievable! They're fun to watch, and I love hearing about like just the you know the camaraderie on the team. And I mean, Aussies in general are typically like pretty laid back people, the ones that I know. Um, and it, I think like it show you can tell that they're like a tight knit group. Most of these teams are. I love that. That's, that's one of the coolest things. I mean, have you seen see. how far away that country is from most places? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of on the other side of the world. Yeah. A little, it's a little, it's a hike. Yeah. It's, it's, I would, it's a you, fair you, few you'd probably miles. tend to be pretty close, uh, to people over time. You'd have to be. I, 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 I love, I love what they've done at this tournament, and I think I mean gee, they're, I'm I'm seriously rooting for for Australia. And they'll play against Jamaica. Yes, and that is uh, kind of could be a, a group decider then. It, between yeah, it matters. Brazil and no Italy. What what? So Italy's on three points, and no, they are on six points. I have a Italy's on. Six I have a points. women's World Cup app that I track every. So I think Italy's top of the group. <laughs> Brazil's on. Italy has six. Brazil has. Three and Australia has three. Yeah, so yeah, all so this, to play for. All this is literally. Like, we'll likely see a third place team come out of that group. Yes, I would guess then. Yes, very difficult group, but you would never assume that Italy are sitting pretty. No, no, it, that's that. Yeah, I would look at that, and no way would I have them on top. But look, I mean, just this, this World Cup, baby. It's the beauty of the World the Cup. The World Cup, anything, I, anything can happen. I would say Italy's probably the most unexpected to be where they are of anyone. Because if, if you're see. looking at Italy as yeah. an upset against Australia, then you are pr- got to be pretty shocked. At yep. least I was uh, to see them sitting on six points. But. Yep, 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 yep. Let's see. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would 100% agree. That is the biggest, the biggest shocker as I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It's fun. It's well, a fun group. Guess what, Susanna? What? I am not going to treat you special and not give you a day in numbers and make you oh, uh, no. test 
your knowledge. Oh, no. This so is... I've got two for you today. Um, <laughs> let's see if you know them. Okay. I'm going to give you a number. You're going to guess what that is. If you're wrong, uh, we throw water balloons at you outside. Oh, fantastic. No, okay. there's, no, there's no real punishment. It's just more of an educational tool. Okay. Um, number six. The number six. Number six. Just, just six. The number of bottles of rosé I consumed last night. Wow. Uh, is that true? I mean, I can't fight that. Did you? <laughs> Maybe. Are you, are you hung up? Are you hung over? A little bit. Okay. I would have never known. You've sold it really, really well. Um, so along with you drinking six bottles of rosé, <laughs> the answer we're looking for is Carly Lloyd becoming the first player to score in six consecutive Women's World Cup matches. That's insane. Yeah. That is absolutely insane. She I mean, it's such, insane to drink six bottles of rosé also. That is also insane yeah. in a completely different way. But, oh my God, how to have that knack to just be able to be able to find space in the box to score a goal is such a skill. And some, I, I feel like, like we see it in MLS with a guy like Chris Wondolowski, right? Yeah. Who just like broke the record. And people are like, oh, well, you know, you're just like tapping in. Like, number one, her goals yesterday were not just tapping, just, you know, fierce header. But like to... That is such a skill. And I don't think people really recognize like how hard it is to finish and yeah. to put the ball in the back of the net. And Carly Lloyd, the, that is a, that's a staggering stat to and, me. And the fun fact that Susanna just pointed out for our international audience, Chris Wondolowski broke the all-time goals record in MLS recently. Landon and a guy Donovan, who, Landon Donovan yeah. was the previous record holder. Yeah. That's, a big, that's a big deal. A guy, a guy who isn't uh, well known for being super skillful, but now has the most goals ever in the league. All right. On the same vein of your rosé, <laughs> perhaps you'll get uh, this one right. 6,000. Oh, God. Lord help me. 6,000. Um, oh, gosh. What could that possibly be? 6,000. It's, uh, it's uh, mm, booze-related. Is it booze-related? Yeah. Jeez. The I'm amount gonna... of the number of the number of beers consumed... By American fans outside the I would stadium. guess that they far surpassed <laughs> that uh, yesterday. <laughs> 6,000 is the number of bottles of beer uh, supplied to the Copenhagen Clubhouse for our time in Paris. Uh, what? Yeah. Oh, man. We're starting to see lines for the word La is Cerveza. out yeah word is out well people are like yeah people are starting to hear about the clubhouse i'm like no they're starting to hear that there's, that there's free, free beer, beer here also can i just say this is my first time at the copa clubhouse it is dope like Thank it you. is sick Thank i you. i'm just want to like come like this week and like kick it and watch some games and apparently drink free beer yeah once i get over this hangover. we don't have rosé <laughs> well you know the best way to get over the hangover <laughs> is to oh god i know but like you're saying that and even then it's just like giving me the sweats like i can't well, Susanna, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Oh, uh, my goodness. Filling me. in for Monkey, doing it hungover. Uh, I mean, allegedly hungover. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're this so was, happy to have you. This was so fun. Thank you so much for, for bringing me on. And thank you for being on my podcast. And um, yeah, I listen, anything, anything for you. Hungover, doesn't matter. I would, for you, anything, Heath. I'm feeling love. <laughs> so that's it for today's uh, Football Inside Out. We'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. And subscribe to the daily newsletter that's going out during the tournament. Head to copa90.com slash WC19 and click or tap on Copa90 France Daily to sign up and get in touch because we'd love to hear from you. Football Inside Out at copa90.com. We want to share your thoughts on the show. 
and use that hashtag if you're tweeting or anywhere that hashtags are used. Hashtag Copa90 inside out. That's it from us. Thank you, Susanna. See you guys tomorrow. Copa90, football inside out.